Hey, ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome you to the reboot, I guess, sort of speak, of the Saucy Football Breakdown podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Michael. Hello. Hi. How are you? Um, welcome to the show. Uh, I'm excited to be back. Uh, it's definitely been a little hiatus that I've had, and now I plan on getting these things done a little bit more regularly. Um, I've edited my format some. I've come and made the show a little different, a little more unique and fun. So I paired in a couple more of my interests. So we're doing some NFL stuff. We're doing some NBA stuff. And we're also doing Premier League and MLS stuff. So uh, if this stuff like this interests you, I really hope you stick around for the show. And, you know, here goes. I'm going to dive right in. So I'm going to start here with a uh just a recap here of the nfl stuff that happened over the weekend stuff that i'm really excited about so you know the first topic i want to go with is the eagles and boy (laughs) that was ugly such a nasty loss here i mean uh jason kelsey here he announced that he's gonna retire or 13 years in the league uh, yeah, he's considering retirement. Well, that was last night when I wrote this. But uh, as of today, he officially announced his departure from NFL football. So he is done. His playing days are over. He is finished, gone. Bye-bye. He's done. Uh, the Eagles, you know, getting back to the team as a whole, they had a promising start to the season. They had a 10-1 record. And, you know, just toward the end, they just, that collapse was catastrophic, to say the least. And it all culminated in the wild card elimination to the Buccaneers, which, frankly, that was a very winnable game for them. But um, a lot of the media that I have consumed, uh, at least today, have speculated that the Eagles just flat out quit on, you know, Matt Patricia, the defensive coordinator, and uh, Sirianni. As a whole, that thing was ugly. Uh, It was hard to watch last night. Uh, You know, you kept thinking that, okay, they got the ball back. Let's see what they do. Let's see what they do. And Tampa really couldn't really pull away until the end of the game because, I mean, I think even they couldn't believe what was happening. Quarterback Jalen Hurts, he he expressed a fatalistic view of how the season all ended when he basically just said that, you know, failure was inevitable with how things were going this season and the way that it all just didn't seem to quite click right. As I, as I keep doing my hands like this, they started high, but they just kept going down and down. So that, you know, Jalen Hurts just didn't even believe that the season was going to end in a proper way as it did. And then you get into the offense as a whole. Again, you know, we, we, we broaden out and we look at the team as a whole. And we talk about this offense that was led by a first-year offensive coordinator, you know, black dude, so you want to give him a shout. But, you know, he didn't really have the offense clicking. Things weren't together as one would have liked for them to be. And, you know, they struggle with simple things like just picking up the blitz. Can you just pick up the blitz? And, you know, again, as the season progressed and progressed, you know, their performance just got worse and worse. And the Eagles offense, they just they just didn't seem to have an identity. I mean, I'll tell you what the identity was. And if I could tell you that as just a fan of the game, which was throw the ball to A.J. Brown, um, when he's when he wasn't able to be around here for that game, you kind of knew that it was a wrap. And then you factor in Jalen Hurts little finger 
uh, being dislocated as well on his throwing hand. I mean, I think that it was hard to wrap, but, you know, their offensive identity was lacking. They, like I said, they couldn't get the pre-snap checks together, picking up the blitz and things like that. The communications within the offense as a whole, it just wasn't there. And it was it was sad to see, you know, that's not something that you're happy to see a good team, a team that talented, drop all those games and all those uh, winnable games and on that many occasions. It it was ugly. It was a really nasty end to the season. Um, you know, getting back to the defense coordinated by Matt Patricia, and I'm I know he's a human being, and I'm not this isn't a personal criticize a uh, criticism of Matt Patricia the man, but I just don't think he's that good at coordinating defenses. I mean, granted, I know he wasn't really given a whole lot this year, and so that's going to be a little difficult to place the blame solely on his shoulders as far as how the defense performed. But again, their talent was there. It wasn't for a lack of talent. It just, things just did not seem to click. And that is a theme for the Eagles. And now, because of both sides of the ball, really, the offensive side of the ball with their lack of communication and the defensive side of the ball with just their lack of scheme and their lack of ability to cover, you know, it's got the future of the franchise really in question as a whole. And the owner, Jeffrey Lurie, uh, excuse me, uh, yeah, Jeffrey Lurie and general manager Howie Roseman, they're considering changes on whether to fire the head coach or whether to move on. No one really knows right now as of today, uh, Monday, January 16th, 2024. But we shall see how this thing shakes out. And I don't really think that Sirianni has inspired a lot of confidence, especially down the stretch. There's just a bunch of uncertainty in Philadelphia, and, you know, we just have to tune in and see. So to transition to the next topic here, I want to talk about uh, the Steelers' loss as well. Is Mike Tomlin in or is he out? I mean, I watched that game, and the moment the game was on, I just kept thinking to myself, like, man, these Steelers just ain't got it. I mean, from the beginning, and, you know, I knew that they were going to have a tall order to beat the Bills, even though the Bills love to give away games to bad teams. Um, I just didn't think Pittsburgh had it. I think that getting them to the playoffs was about as far as that team could get. You'd like to ask yourself, too, you know, would uh, the Bengals have played a better game? Would the Bengals have played buffalo better than uh than what pittsburgh did i don't know i i I just don't have the answer but i think it probably would have been a better watch than what we saw with pittsburgh they're facing you know what what some would consider a a crossroads really with the uncertainty surrounding mike tomlin and you know what is he gonna stay is he gonna go now here's the thing though we know he's not going to get fired i think his relationship with that organization, even though he's got a year left on his deal, his relationship with the organization, the culture of the team, uh, I mean, maybe he just needs to take some time because people want to say, oh, well, you know, he's just going to walk away. But, you know, just because he's going to walk away doesn't mean he's going to walk into another job. He may just need to take some time and, you know, be with his family, uh, take a breather away from football. I mean, football is a high stress job. And he's had the same job 
he is the longest tenured head coach in NFL now that Bill Belichick is gone. So, you know, let that sink in. That man is exhausted. Um, like I said, he's not expected to be fired, but his his future is uncertain. It remains in the balance. Uh, the Steelers have, as an organization, have showed some culture concerns. You know, throughout the season, there were questions about the culture as a whole for the team. Instances of players not following team rules, and they were also making critical comments. I think Pickens was like, get me out of here. And Najee Harris expressed the need for more discipline within the team. So that part of it is probably high stress enough to make Tomlin want to consider leaving. And then you factor in the fact that that quarterback room, again, not personal criticism, but when you just watch what happened on the field, I mean, none of that in that quarterback room inspired any belief that things are going to get better. I mean, Pickett ain't it. Um, Mason Rudolph ain't it. Trubisky ain't it. So, you know, back to the drawing board. And because you made the playoffs now, you got to make some crazy trade to move up and get a quarterback, which the Steelers, A, don't do, and B, won't do now that Pickett's up for a deal. I don't know. It's funky, but I don't think they're going to move up and get a quarterback. So because they made the playoffs, they move themselves back in draft position. So the quarterback thing isn't looking super bright at the moment. And then, like I said, there's just ultimate uncertainty about the future of the Steelers as a whole. Mason Rudolph summed it up best with his post-game interview. He said, nobody knows what will happen in the future. And that's true. So you just got to stay tuned. You got to see what's going on there. Um, moving on to the Bills, though. The Bills and Chiefs are geared up for another epic showdown. And, you know, the the Bills, they they actually got banged up quite a bit in this last game. I mean, yeah, they made it out on top in this game, but it wasn't like they made it out unscathed. I mean, they have some real injury issues to deal with heading into that game. And, you know, I was watching that game, and you could see the fans. They were throwing snow, and, I mean, they were getting I – mean, that's that's just – I can't express enough how that is just not my thing. I could never be out in the snow, in the cold, watching a football game and just, like, throwing snow in there. I mean, I, I, I'm i sitting there, like, if I'm in the stands and people are throwing snow and it's getting on me, like, oh, oh, my goodness. I mean, I, oh, my gosh. I, no. No. <laughs> you know, uh, that was one of the games that actually was flexed, and they had their times moved around because of the weather. It was a 27-and-a-half-hour wait that the fans actually had to endure just to be able to watch that game. So you know, I mean, you know they're going to show up. It's Buffalo. They don't care about the cold. So, you know, I, I really want to take this moment to, like, emphasize the dedication that the Bills fans have to that club, and they will get out there and they will watch that team in any weather. And it's remarkably ridiculous, and I bet they can't wait till they get a dome. But, you know, uh, back to the game as a whole, the Bills were dominant. They just outperformed the Steelers. I mean, just flat out outperformed them in, in every aspect of the game. And just before halftime, 
maybe you saw that the Steelers could do something, but nah, the Bills were in firm control of that game. Um, there were also, as I discussed, significant injuries suffered by key Bills players during this game. And that is going to matter when going up against the Chiefs, who for all intents and purposes are at 100% health. I mean, we'll see how they look on the other side of this game, but the Chiefs are ready. The Chiefs have that survive and advance mentality. I mean, they're just going to try to win this game and move on to the next one. So we shall see how that, you know, plays out. And I'm really looking forward to what that Chiefs and Bills matchup brings. So that's it for my NFL talk. I actually want to move on to the NBA now. Um, One of my stories here for the NBA is talking about Victor Wimbyama. I refuse to call that man Wimby. It's just, it's just not my thing. Um, I'm just going to call him Wimbenyama. Yeah. Uh, or if I come up with another nickname, I'll call him that. But I'm not calling him Wimby. It's just, it's just not my thing. I know, like, American sports fans like to shorten your name and add a Y at the end of everything, like, uh, Salvador Perez became Salvi and uh, Escobar. What was his name for the Royals? I uh, can't remember his first name, but they called him Esky. I mean, no, no. I'm, I'm not calling him Wimby. But anyways, back to Wimbenyama. So Wimbenyama's participation in the All-Star Skills Challenge is coming up. And I'm excited about it because the NBA has decided that they're going to put a seven foot four mammoth man in a skills challenge that's typically dominated by guards. And what's so cool about it is the fact that Wimbenyama, despite the fact that he is seven foot four, he's got the ability to even enter this. Co- I mean, like, I, I think I want to say uh, Giannis was in the contest a little bit ago. Um, maybe even in bead, but this is a contest that's typically dominated by guards with dribbling around cones and passing a ball through a hoop. And it's going to be, you know, the NBA has with these all-star games and, and that all-star weekend as a whole, the NBA has a real responsibility with the dunk contest and with the three-point contest to try and keep innovating and making things exciting for the fans because you know as we know watching a dunk contest like over and over and over again people aren't coming up with new dunks it really just comes down to who's making their dunk on the first try or you know a white guy who looks like he shouldn't be able to dunk ends up you know doing an a an above average dunk for a black guy and all of a sudden everybody's stunned i mean i I don't know, but the NBA needs to show like this is this is a thing like they could just they need to pray that he remains healthy. I pray he remains healthy. This is something that I definitely want to see as as I said, you got a seven foot four guy who's averaging 20 points, 10 rebounds and three assists and and three blocks a game. This is musty TV. I'll be tuning in as long as he's healthy. Um, Damian Lillard's buzzer beater versus the Kings. That was 
That was a heck of a shot. And I'm telling you, I love the Dame Time celebration. I'm absolutely here for it. Um, I've, I've full disclosure, I haven't really followed his career like game by game by game. And that's typically how I usually watch the NBA. Uh, I get into the playoffs where I can, you know, set my eyes on a guy for a series. And, and that's how I, you know, learn how good a guy is or isn't. And that's how I develop my understanding of a guy's game is, is usually watch him in a playoff series. But with Lillard, for the regular season, for the longest, for his entire career, except for this year, he'd been on the West Coast. And to stay up late and watch those games, that was, it's just, it's just not my thing. And I'm in the central time zone. I can't even imagine being on the East Coast and trying to tune in for those games. But anyway, the game between the Kings and the Bucks went into overtime with only five seconds left on the clock. Uh, there was some late game stuff, some strategy stuff going on where the Bucks decided to hack a De'Aaron Fox because he was not making his free throws throughout the game. He got a little shaky. And, you know, Lillard just, he squared up and hit a 32-foot step-back jumper at the buzzer to give the Bucks that 143-142 win. And, you know, <laughs> like I said, when he was tapping his wrist and he's talking about dang time, I mean, I'm here for it. And I think that was, no, I don't think, I know that was the first Dame time celebration that we gotten since he's been in Milwaukee all season. So I'm definitely here for more Dame time celebrations. Giannis was feeling it. Giannis, you know, he said that he praised it. He said it was an incredible shot, in fact. And he considered it one of the toughest game winning shots he'd ever seen in his career. And I think Giannis has hit a couple game winners, but, you know, Giannis isn't a jump shooter. So his game winning stuff typically is at the rim. He don't usually get to see people close out games with a jumper like that. So maybe that is the most incredible uh, game-winning shot he's ever seen. Uh, the game, like I said, was a back-and-forth battle. It really came down to the wire. As I said, this thing went into overtime. And Giannis and Lillard, they both led the team in scoring. Despite some struggles there for Lillard during the game, he actually had nine points in OT, so that three of those obviously was the game winner. And, I mean, it's it was beautiful. And, you know, a lot of people were talking about how the Bucks were struggling coming into this game, coming into this moment. But I think they've won, I want to say, either six straight or three straight. I, I don't have it off the top of my head, and I didn't leave myself any good notes. But the... Bucks have definitely found their stride, and even their head coach, Adrian Griffin, he said that they're finally starting to come into some sort of identity as to what they actually are. And I, I mean, they're in the top three in the East for sure. And so if you're telling me a team with no identity has found themselves into the top three, uh, they can put this thing on cruise control and have a nice matchup in the playoffs I think then they'll just be looking at matchups and trying to jockey for that per perfect matchup for the first round and set themselves up but I mean they're in a the driver's seat as long as they continue to play this way happy to see it what a good game um 
Miami is giving Dwayne Wade a statue. Uh, a bold statement that I have about this. I got to read it. So it's not going to sound, you know, super authentic as I'm reading it. But Dwayne Wade's upcoming statue at the Kaseya Center isn't just a symbol of his greatness on the court, but it also represents an enduring legacy that forever changed the culture of the Miami Heat franchise. And, you know, I wrote that because that's something that I absolutely believe. When you look at what the Heat were before Dwayne Wade got there, um, I mean, they weren't, it wasn't a championship culture, um, despite the fact of Pat Riley being there. I mean, he was trying to turn it into that, but it, it hadn't quite become that. And so you can't really, the, the way that you think about the Heat now and Heat culture and the their stature in the league, that was a change than, than what it had previously been. And that change happened once Dwayne Wade got to that team. You know, uh, Dwayne Wade spent 15 seasons with the Miami Heat. 15. Uh, he's also, he's being celebrated for, you know, his lasting impact, as I just discussed, and how he, his arrival marked the change of what the Heat were viewed as and, and put it on to what they have become now. And this statue is actually going to be a freaking eight feet tall statue. And it's going to be placed outside of the arena next year. And Pat Riley joked that he actually wanted it to be taller than Shaq. So eight feet, I mean, it's taller than Wimbenyama. So this is a big statue. And, you know, Dwayne Wade was invited to the game, but I, he was not aware. I believe that he was not aware of the announcement and the fact that he was going to get a statue. So, you know, when you see his tears and his smile, all that stuff is genuine. He was genuinely surprised. And shout out to Wade, man. He's earned that. Uh, he's definitely a player that I grew up idolizing and, and wanting to model my game after, even though <laughs> I couldn't play like him. But uh, congratulations to Dwayne Wade. I do think that is a well-deserved statue ceremony that he's going to get. Um, he is a 13-time All-Star, and he was also selected for the NBA 75th anniversary team. I don't remember where they placed him, because didn't they do... Either they did 75 or 75, so like the top 75 players in NBA history, or I think they did like 100 players. Um, either way, I don't remember where they placed him, but it's an honor to be in the top 75 for sure. I want to say he's in the top 25, if I'm not mistaken, but I have to look that up some other time. Um, I want to transition here to soccer now. I know I said I'd be covering the Premier League, but this story in some ways kind of tangentially comes into the Premier League as we talk about Jose Mourinho being set. Oh my gosh. I don't know. I can't believe I said Jose. I'm going to call him Jose. I never called him Jose before. It just kind of came out. So forgive me, but Jose Mourinho. I mean, I, I've never even actually heard him say his name. If that, I don't know. The Jose. I'm going to call him Let's just call him Mourinho. How about that? If I say Mourinho, you know who I'm talking about. So let's just do that. 
So Mourinho's career as a top-level manager may seem like it's going down on this kind of downward spiral, but you know his ability to achieve a level of success and maintain these strong relationships with his players and the fans you know, really makes it unwise for you to just write him off now that he was finally sacked by Roma. And when I say finally, I mean, it was inevitable. Anytime that man is hired, is firing, or some kind of bad relationship with the team is always inevitable. It just, he is an intense person and he wears, he wears his relationships thin. But his career has been marked, as I, as I just was saying, by a, a pattern where he, he's got some success in the beginning and then it's followed by a bunch of toxicity and his eventual dismissal of some sort, either, like I said, firing or quitting or whatever. Uh, the last couple of jobs, he's kind of gotten out on the front of it a little bit and quit because he was reading the tea leaves and, and knew that things were coming to an irreparable end. But, you know, he's been sacked by four clubs in a row due to these poor results. Um, Chelsea got rid of him. Manchester United got rid of him. Tottenham got rid of him. And now Roma. And, you know, despite this pattern of initial success and burnt bridge, people still are going to consider hiring him because he is a turnaround artist. He will bring you massive amounts of success in a very short span of time. He's won trophies at most clubs that he's been with, including, you know, he's won with Chelsea in the Premier League. He uh, won the Europa League and the League Cup at Manchester United. So, you know, you look back at his tenure at United and you think, man, that was a disaster. But you forget the man won trophies. And he's also, like I said, he's popular with the fans. The fans love Mourinho. And even in Roma, you know, nobody, none of the fans anyway were happy. A lot of the fans still support him to this day. So, you know, as I said, he's a very intense personality. And that tends to wear thin, especially in professional sports. However, possible destinations for this man, Saudi Arabia. Now, I've got some ideas about what I want to talk about with Saudi in a future episode. So if you want to hear that, you know, stay tuned to the show. But I'm not so hot on Saudi Arabia. I know, like he said before he took the Roma job, he actually said that he turned down and these are his words, so I'm going to quote this, the biggest bag a manager has ever seen to go coach in Saudi Arabia. So maybe he'll end up there. I don't know. He doesn't really seem to be driven by money like that. Um, Newcastle, Eddie Howe is kind of on the fence with his job. Chelsea, let's not rule it out. You know, the longer... Time goes in between a bad breakup. People start to wonder, you know, why were things so bad? So, you know, if Pochettino, for somehow, some reason, can't get things done, I expect Mourinho to get a phone call. Just straight up, especially because, like I said, he's a turnaround artist. So Chelsea want that, that quick fix. They want that, they want that fast cake baked in the oven. They don't want to wait out, you know, the full time on the box. Uh, Real Madrid, 
I mean, maybe uh, Ancelotti just signed a new deal, but um, Florentino Perez and Mourinho is homies. So you always got to watch out for that. Uh, a romantic reunion with Porto, the, the, the first team he won the Champions League with. Uh, Turkey, I think Galatasaray might be looking. Uh, MLS, maybe even. I think the only job left open right now is Minnesota. I can't see Mourinho going to Minnesota. Uh, there's also some international jobs. I mean, I know Portugal's off the table because they got Robert Sanchez, and you know, he just got there. I think his place is is firm for now. But you know, it, he's he's got opportunities. Uh, I know the U.S. could be giving him a call if Burhalter seems to falter. I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens. That thing um, is a big wait and see. Oh. It goes, uh, let's transition to another topic. Let's talk about AFCON. Uh, I want to read this here real quick about AFCON. The Africa Cup of Nations, Africa's premier football tournament, promises an exciting clash of talent and competition as 24 teams vie for the title in a rescheduled event that was affected by political instability and some crazy, crazy weather changes. With strong contenders like Morocco, Senegal, Egypt, the tournament is set to showcase Africa's football prowess on the global stage. So let's talk about it, all right? Um, full disclosure, I haven't really kept up with AFCON like I want to. Um, the time zone difference between the United States and Africa is a bit challenging to me, even though I'm very interested in the tournament and I would like to watch more of it. And then the fact that the games are all behind the paywall here, um, I'm probably going to end up either doing a free trial and paying for some coverage of, of the games or something like that, but I really want to watch it. But um, this is the 34th AFCON or the African Cup of Nations. I like to call it AFCON. I, I think that's a fun name. Um, it's a biennial competition, so it happens every two years, and it involves 24 teams, and they have, like, some kind of, like, continental tournament where they decide, like, who the 24 teams are going to be, and I think they always invite either one or two teams from, like, outside of Africa to come compete. Like, I know this year they got, like, Cape Verde in there, so I know previous years they've had, like, Curacao in... So, yeah, I think this year, like I said, they had Cape Verde in. Um, Senegal won the last one. Uh, it came down to Egypt and Senegal, and I think Mohamed Salah missed that penalty. If you, uh, if the clip is online, but if you see, man, all these people, they had um, these laser pointers, like, pointed at his eyes. I mean, there was no way he was going to make that goal. It was crazy. But that's how AFCON is. It goes down. Uh, the tournament actually was rescheduled multiple times due to various uh, reasons impacting the host countries. I read about this. This was kind of crazy. It was like uh, it was promised to to Guinea, and then uh, it got moved to Cameroon because of something. Cra I can't remember why Guinea didn't get it, but then they they moved it to Cameroon, and then Cameroon had some political unrest, and they didn't even have the stadiums, like, ready to go. So then 
they didn't take it from Cameroon. They just like moved it from Cameroon and then they moved it to the Ivory Coast. No, they moved it to Egypt. <laughs> I can't remember now. I, I'm trying to tell the story, but I'm giving you half details. So uh, disregard. I think they moved it to, to Ivory Coast, though. And then Ivory Coast had some weather issues. So then they moved it to Egypt and then they ended up moving it back to Ivory Coast. I think that's the final say. But either way, it's finally in the Ivory Coast and it's going down. Um, like I said, the format involves 24 teams divided into six groups with the top two advancing to the knockout stages. Full transparency, I probably won't really be tuning into this thing and start like putting eyes on actual games without watching highlights until we get to knockout stages. I don't like to waste my time watching teams that aren't going to win anything. And then I also don't want to see the good teams at one phase and then they end up having some injuries and they don't look the same. So I usually like to wait for the knockout stages and things like that to really buckle down. But some of the key players that I'm looking forward to watching, Victor Oziman, of course, Mohamed Salah, Sadio Mane, uh, congratulations to that man. He just got married. And um, a couple of uh, Muhammad Kudus, uh, Anyaki Williams, um, Hakim Ziyech, uh, Hakimi, Yusuf, and Nasiri. I mean, I could go all day naming African players. I really, really do support uh, football going on over there in Africa. I rock with it a lot. And like I said, I'm really looking forward to watching this as we get into the knockout stages. Um, some of the more compelling group stage matches that people are going to be looking forward to is Ivory Coast versus Nigeria, Egypt versus Ghana, and maybe some underdog stories to watch are Tanzania and Cape Verde. I got to be honest with you, I can't name a Tanzanian footballer, and uh, I think I might know a Cape Verdean football player, but I'm not comfortable saying his name because <laughs> I don't want to mess it up. Uh, but I think he plays for sporting over in uh in Portugal. Um either way, the tournament is broadcast in over 150 countries. Like I said, US, UK, uh over here, it's behind a paywall, so it'll be a little tough for me to watch the games, but I'm considering going ahead put my card info in and watching a couple of those games. Um they will be using VAR in the tournament and I'll be consuming all the coverage that I can via uh, the One Football app or The Athletic. I'm really looking forward to watching that stuff. So I'll be tapping in and I'll be keeping you guys updated on AFCON. Okay, moving on to the last topic here of today's show. Christian Pulisic, he had a really nice interview. Um, I can't remember who the uh, interviewing outlet or body was. I don't think that's really important. To me, anyway. Um, but he is the most expensive American player of all time, whether you knew that or not, whether you like it or love it or hate it. That is an indisputable fact. And he is not just making waves on the pitch, but he's also elevating the profile of Milan and bringing the Syria up in North America. I mean, I want to see the data of. Paramount Plus subscriptions pre and post announcement that he was going to the Serie A because he is responsible for like, and th these are metrics, these are measurable metrics, a 713% increase in jersey sales 
in the United States from, you know, Milan jerseys since he moved. He's got a very interesting perspective around being one of the older guys in the U.S. men's national team. When I say older, he's 25, okay? So, you know, that's how young that team is as a whole. He's one of the senior guys. I mean, I think Tim Ream is like 40, but, you know, uh, Pulisic being one of the most senior leaders on the team, I mean, like I said, that team is is super young. He also talked about like watching World Cups as a kid and growing up, he was watching Clint Dempsey and Landon Donovan and their games inspired his game. And, you know, he's saying that like that concept isn't lost on him, how like there are kids watching him now that he is their Dempsey and their Donovan. So that's, I mean, profound for him to A, admit it, and B, I mean, obvious, duh, but to hear him say it, I think is really cool. And uh, he also mentioned the fact that, you know, most people don't know, but he is a major introvert. Despite how famous he is, he's really private and personal and, and reserved and you know, he said that affects the way that he leads and the way he comes across as a leader. But he's more of a lead by example kind of cat than a, hey, listen up, hey, follow me, like Ray Lewis type cat. He's he's definitely a, a doer. And, um, you know, this this story that I read talked about how, like, there was a 75% increase in the number of Milan jerseys sold to... United States. I think that's just incredible. 75% increase. And in the U.S., the sales uplift was 713%. Excuse me. There was a 75% increase in the number of Milan jerseys sold, period. And in the United States, that was a 713% increase. And Milan's shirt sales in the U.S. increased from 9% to a total of 43%. And personalized Pulisic jerseys represented 45% of all match jerseys sold in his first month with the team. So Milan spending the money, and I don't think that was a very expensive transfer, but man, did they get a major return on investment with that. He also mentioned how much he just loves Italy, loves being in Milan, loves his teammates. And he talked about how having teammates he's familiar with, like, uh, Tamori, guys, he played with at Chelsea, uh, Giroud, Loftus-Cheek, and even a national team teammate with Eunice Musa. Like, as he said, it's so much easier to, like, fit in and find a place with the team because he's comfortable with the cats around him. And then lastly, he talked about, you know, playing in the MLS one day, but he's saving that for when he gets old. And he wants to accomplish all he can in Europe before he moves on to that. So, um. I think that's it. That's where I'm going to leave it. It's been almost 40 minutes, and I know I'm going to have to cut some of this out. But thank you for tuning in and listening to me. If you're still here, man, please rate the show. Uh, talk to me. Leave me. Meet me over on Twitter. I'll have my link in the show notes here. Uh, leave comments on this video. Uh, this will be a video podcast as well. Tune in. Tap in. Let's have a conversation. Uh, leave me some feedback. If you want to 
dictate what we talk about on the show. Hey, let's talk about it. I'll catch you guys on the next one. Peace.